Hi, welcome to Pod Culture, a daily Northwestern podcast covering all the biggest events in entertainment. I'm Wilson Chapman. And I'm Emma Yarger. In this episode, we'll be discussing Parasite. Directed by Bong Joon-ho, Parasite is a brutally dark satire on wealth and equality, and one of the most acclaimed films of the year. Then we'll be talking about the first episode of Watchmen, created by Damon Lindelof and based on the acclaimed 80s miniseries from Alan Moore, Dave Givens, and John Higgins. Watchmen reimagines the world of the comic book in the modern day and tackles some of the most pressing issues of our time. The episode will contain spoilers for both the movie and the TV show, so shut it off if you don't want to be spoiled. For everyone else, thanks for tuning in. Alright, so let's just get started with Parasite. So, I saw this movie uh, this past Friday. I saw it with my dad, who was in town, and when it ended, my dad turned to me and was like, that was the weirdest fucking movie I've ever seen. <laughs> His exact reaction. I mean, and that's 100% right. Yeah. But also, being said, like, weird is not a bad thing in this case. I absolutely loved it. Oh, I loved it too. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it the entire week. It, it really is a movie that has so much to say. It's definitely one of the movies I think you would get more and more out of the more times you see it as well. My first reaction honestly was a lot of discomfort mostly because it deals with very real topics of like class struggle so i guess we should talk a little bit about like how the film works yes it starts out the main plot of the film follows this family of four like husband uh wife uh son daughter and basically how they sort of scam their way into working to this rich family. First half of it is essentially like a very funny, sharp comedy. It sort of follows how they do it. I particularly liked um, the daughter. I thought she was hilarious how she uh, sort of scammed her way into becoming an art therapy instructor. It was amazing. Yeah. At like the halfway point, it shifts completely into this thriller territory and it becomes a lot weirder, a lot darker. There's a lot more to process. Originally, I wanted to classify it as a dark comedy, but it also kind of breaks the bonds of that genre because it's so sectioned at the beginning with a comedy portion and then at the end with this totally different film style than I've ever really seen before. It was just, I was super inspired. With that said, I think like it handled that transition well. I felt like all the actors were very good at sort of handling it seamlessly. And I was trying to think like why the director wanted to do that, why he wanted to sort of lure the audience into thinking of it as a comedy and then revealing this much darker aspect of it. Mm -hmm. The shift happens basically with the revelation that there's this weird abandoned bunker in the mansion of the rich family's home. And there's this man who's been living there for but how many years? Five at least? Many years. Many years. <laughs> and I thought that was so inter- so interesting. And just looking at it symbolically, I thought it made a really interesting point of almost how dependent the poor is on the rich. And that's sort of what I took away from it. What did you take away from it? Well, I think that's a really interesting point that the poor do rely on the rich. And that's definitely shown throughout the movie in a lot of different ways. But also because of the way that the... F- 
like the rich family continually needs to have a staff. You can say it both ways in the juxtaposition of the rich really relying on the poor. I think also culminates at the very end. Even though this is a foreign film, it's so mm-hmm. re- I felt so relevant to America. Like mm-hmm. the ending, we can talk about the ending later, but the ending, like if the, you translated this to America, and I would have thought the ending was sort of this like very pointed rebuttal against the American dream. The sharpness of the film is helped by how on point like the technical elements are of it are. Like the editing and the cinematography. It's very well it's very well crafted film. Mm-hmm. It's definitely all of the cinematography and also all the motifs are very intentional. The screenwriter and director did a phenomenal job of cultivating a movie and making really specific choices about what themes that he wanted to put in the movie and kind of making that overarching statement about the society that transcends like the Korean culture but also goes into American culture as well. The moment that really crystallized that for me was um it was the scene where the where the family is heading back to their home and it's come and the rain is pouring and it's completely flooded and it's devastating their neighborhood. And they have to like relocate to a shelter for a night. And then it cuts back to the rich family and it's com- they're completely fine. And they're organizing a birthday party for their son. It was very interesting seeing how this things that would devastate, that devastate people of low income are just completely meaningless to people of high income. I thought that was a very interesting point they were making. And just for me, um, it almost struck me weirdly personally because I'm from New York, from like the New York area, and I was 13 when Hurricane Sandy happened. Mm. Um, so many people died, so many people lost their home. And, but for me, like, the biggest way it affected my life was that I lost Wi Fi for like for a week. And like, even as like a dumbass 13 year old, I was still like smart enough to know that other, that a lot of people were suffering. But yeah, just like watching that scene, it reminded me of how my friends and family just were able to recover so quickly from Sandy when other people weren't. And it, it really made me think of my own privilege in a way that I haven't really thought about it in a long time, which I think shows why this movie is so good. It really genuinely makes you think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think it also speaks to multiple different groups. So if you are maybe from somebody who has that privilege, like you are able to reflect on that. But then also if you are somebody who doesn't, it's a movie that represents you in a way that not all movies do, which I think is really, really unique that it can speak to so many different audiences. On top of that, what you were just talking about, what it made me think of was about this whole theme towards the end of the movie about making a plan and how the dad doesn't want his son to make plans anymore and how um, sort of precarious the lives of those who are low income are and how quickly their plans can um, sort of go awry. And that also is seen then by at the end of the movie where the rich people's plans don't really work out and they have to kind of experience that for one of the first times and obviously it goes wrong in a very very bad way (laughs) um but I think that's super it's just like they had to kind of swallow that medicine whereas the family of four who had been working for the rich family had experienced many setbacks all the time one thing that I thought was very interesting was I went into it expecting that like 
that the rich family would be complete snobs and like the poor family would be very not angelic but like very sympathetic Mm -hmm. i thought it was very interesting how they played the morality of it i think a lesser movie would have made the would have wanted you to 100 percent root for the for the family and would have would have portrayed the rich family as snobs whereas for the most part they definitely were snobby but they weren't depicted as outright bad people except for maybe the dad the mom was just like clueless the Mm -hmm. the kids seemed like to be more or less good people Mm -hmm. like the point almost ended up being less that like rich people are bad and just that like rich people are ignorant and don't Mm -hmm. understand the disparities and the injustice which i think is a lot more interesting a point i also thought it was very interesting how the poor family never ended up in direct conflict with the with their employers the main conflict they ended up with was with another poor family which i thought i don't know how you interpreted that but i thought of it as almost as a statement about how when you're in this oppressive system you fight with other people on your same level instead of really thinking about people above you well i mean i think it all like continues to go back to the name like parasite is never mentioned the word parasite is never in the movie but it really reflects the entire theme of like how people are trying to make their living and i do want to go back to the point that i made at the beginning that i think that the rich family is somewhat parasitic to poor people in general and the fact that they like the wife can't do anything by herself and so then therefore needs to hire help and the dad can't get around unless he has a driver so they obviously like require that sort of service at the same time then you see this man living in the basement like feeding off of this family so that's kind of the most obvious imagery of a parasite but I think it's really interesting that it goes both ways there is Obviously, this very um, distinct theme about smells, and it's first brought up, I, th- I believe, when the youngest son of the rich family says they all smell the same, and that's the first point where you, like, start to get a little bit nervous. Like, you realize this maybe isn't a comedy, that there's a little bit at stake here, um, because they're worried about the rich family finding out that they are all, fa- all family members and that they kind of scammed their way into these jobs. So the rich dad continues to complain about the poor dad who's his driver and about how he's like a pretty good driver and but he's like sometimes says too much and he has this really bad smell about him and it's because they live in a half basement and they live um, in a poor area of town and it's not like that they're unhygienic or anything but the fact that these rich people are so within their own bubble that they can tell the difference between somebody who's poorer than them just based on their smell. And then all of that, that tension culminates in the ending when he he won't even go to grab his own keys because it smells bad near this man. And he needs these keys to go save his, um, to go save his son. So that part for me, almost justified the stabbing. Uh, let's talk a bit about the ending, where the father like ends up in the basement, and the son sort of makes a pledge that he'll earn enough money that one day he'll be able to buy the house and free his dad, and we get this scene with them reuniting. But for me, 
I think it's meant to be ambiguous, but I thought that was just a vision and it didn't actually happen. What do you think? Oh, 100%. I just got chills when you were describing that, by yeah, the way. I literally, really... it was very, very beautiful, the scene of him coming up the stairs from the basement and walking out and going to hug his son. But then after they show this like beautiful moment, it goes back to the son in present time writing down the Morse code and writing down this letter. So I don't believe that it happens. And also... A layer on top of that is this whole theme about making plans and how the dad continually told his son not to make plans. And now the son at the end has made yet another plan to do this for his father, which is obviously very well-intentioned. But again, we have seen through the entire movie that plans don't really work out the way that you want them to. And so the vision, to me, was sort of this way to ease the viewer but also to like still show them that that's only like one of the many possibilities of how this like family could end up. Yeah. It, God, this movie just—it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's an all timer. Like mm-hmm. I, it, it's my favorite movie I've seen in such a long time. I can't stop thinking about it. Just like go see this movie. Go everyone. see it. Yeah, it'll it'll make you think. Emma, we didn't really we didn't really talk about this. We didn't get the chance to. But before you watched the show, how familiar were you with Watchmen? Have you ever like read the book or seen the movie? I was not familiar with it at all. I'm same with Parasite. Actually, both of these things I went into with no prior knowledge, and I think that kind of made it even better. As a newcomer to this, how accessible was it? I think that it stands alone very well and if it was created just as a show I would still really like it I mean obviously the episode is confusing in a sense intentionally but I still understood what was going on I didn't need any prior knowledge of the characters to enjoy the episode yeah and I really liked how they sort of trusted the audience to not need to be hand-holded they very much able to like drop in all these weird facts and like all these interesting like alternate history things like Vietnam is a state now, like Robert Redford is president, like mm-hmm. um, like all the police officers wear masks and sort of trust you to be intrigued. Squids fall from the sky. Yeah. <laughs> I think that all of those things pushed it to the point where you knew that it was an alternate universe, but with generally the same rules as the one that we live in, which I think was really helpful in suspending your disbelief, but only to a certain point. So you could still enjoy it and still like expect somewhat logical um, events to take place. Yeah, so I think it's also interesting to talk about. So this show, it's not an adaptation of the comic in a direct sense. It is uh, a sort of a sequel set in the same universe with all of the events of the comic book happening in the 80s, which which was when when it was written. And I think that's a smart way to approach it. In an interview with, I think it was the New York Times, the showrunner Damon Lindelof sort of said that he wanted to take what Alan Moore, the original creator, did with the original series, which was sort of approach these real-world issues um, in the context of superheroes, but tackle present-day issues mm-hmm. in, the sa- in the same manner. And I think that's a smart choice and a choice that sort of like very very much falls in line with the spirit of the original and 
I don't know, like, Watchmen, it's a very good series, but it's also very much rooted in 1980s politics, like, the sort of Reagan era of politics, like, Cold War culture, so it wouldn't necessarily, like, work as a standalone product today, in my opinion. That being said, I think so many things that we are dealing with culturally in America right now are very similar to the 80s, and so I think the movie does a good job blending the two, at least from my perspective, watching it felt very connected to today. And when you think about other superhero movies or shows, like sometimes they feel very disconnected from our time. Um, and that's a cause for some people to not enjoy them anymore. Like, Yeah, that's another thing. If this was a straight adaptation it, of the comic book, it would not feel so, as relevant and as almost important as this. <laughs> so let's actually talk about the subject yes, matter. Yes, let's do it. So the opening, it begins with a silent film of of a uh, real-life historical figure called Bass Reeves. He was one of the first black deputy marshals in America. And then it sort of pivots and does this really brutal recreation of the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. Um, that was, again, a real um, historical event and one of the worst events of, like, racial violence in America. I think upward of, like, of 300 people died. And it was a coordinated attack from white residents of Tulsa on this black neighborhood, which I think was, at the time, the wealthiest black neighborhood in all of America. I thought it was very interesting how it opened with this silent film that was sort of this very idealized uh, vision of this black man receiving praise from the from white citizens and sort of like this integrated society into this really brutal reminder of and just how deeply entrenched racial violence and racism is is in our culture yeah i thought it was a really shocking but amazing way to open the show and i think contrasted to how we interpret our history and then also how I feel about like police relations to um, people of color in today, the flash forward to basically about 100 years later. Most of the show takes place in what we would assume tw- is 2019. Yeah, I um, say it at one point. Okay, so yeah, in, about 100 years later after the Tulsa race riot to uh, a society much like ours, but one thing that's different is that the police are in conflict with white supremacist groups instead of the police being suspected of being white supremacist groups. And that was really refreshing and almost relieving to see police officers being the superheroes and actually doing the job that I wish they did now. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's an interesting point and one that, even though that was very refreshing to see, I can also see why people might find that, I guess, offensive to have this show that's very very much about racism and very much about the like reemergence of white supremacy in our culture um and i'm i can very easily see people uh thinking of that as very offensive and re- reductive but i also think even in the first episode there might be more to the police than than we see there might be like some sort of like like darker things we might learn about them later on because also Mm -hmm. so the police in this in this universe they all wear masks to hide their identities Mm -hmm. and in the original comic basically the central thesis was anyone who has to wear a mask to fight crime fight crime is someone who is just 
deeply messed up. Like, it was basically sort of this deconstruction of the idea of a superhero. Hmm. So I think having the police officers wear masks, I think that is sort of a, it's sort of a hint in the direction that the writers will be go- will be going. The way we're talking about this show may- might make it sound like a like a huge downer and like this very heavy show. It was a real blast to watch in my mm-hmm. opinion. Like I thought found it really fun. Like there was so much action. It was very well paced. The music was incredible. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah, they did a really good job about mixing up different styles of scenes. So having lighter scenes in co- in contrast to uh, more of the action-based fighting scenes. One critique I will say that I have for almost every action movie it's too dark. I can't see what's going on. And maybe that's part of the style, but I want to see the fight choreography. Like, I want to see what you're doing. I want to see those details because that makes it all the more entertaining for me. And when it's too dark and I just hear, you know, punch sound effects, I don't really feel as engaged anymore. So that is probably... One of my only critiques of the show because I really enjoyed the way it was written. I was very here for Regina King as the main character. I thought she was awesome. Her mm-hmm. costume was incredible. It's like one of my favorite live action amazing. costumes. Just like everything about it, like the hood, the police badge, just mm-hmm. on point. Very good. There's also, I think, something interesting to talk about is the just everything about the show is obviously very focused on race. One thing that I thought was really interesting was that they had white children. And so I think that's something that'll be really interesting to see as the show goes on is like, what role does race play in this universe? And is it similar to ours or is it completely different? Because obviously, like, there is white supremacy. And so that is a problem. But then is it entirely similar to the white supremacy we see in America today, or is it going to look different? Yeah, and this is also a universe where reparations exist. They're mm-hmm. called redforations after Robert Redford, who in this universe has been president since the 1980s. This is a universe where reparations exist and have happened and, and like have been done on a national scale, which obviously makes things very, differ- very different. Mm-hmm. Even if white supremacy is still like an an issue that is affecting the world we're seeing. I think that they took a lot of risks as far as what they included in the storyline and how they're setting up the entire series and honestly, I think we're going to have to wait and see which ones pay off and which ones don't. Um I can see a lot of opportunity for really really great themes to be discussed and events to take place, but it also is a little bit precarious in the way that it is handling these issues, and it could go downhill very quickly. It's definitely a show that uh, is handling a lot of like tough subject matter, and like you sort of have to wait to see. So the ending of the show is uh, one of the main characters, Judd, who's a police officer, he gets um, hanged on a tree in a way that is very reminiscent to a lynching and presumably by a black man and I found that very interesting that days after this premiere Donald Trump like made a comment about how impeachment inquiries were similar to lynchings which caused a lot of discussion about the racial history of lynching so yeah so the way it's handling this it's just hard to talk about there's a lot that could go wrong and I hope and I think that they'll do it correctly but there is that chance, and I can understand people maybe not wanting to watch this show also because it's hits so close to home for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. 
And then it's important to note that the man at the end who presumably hangs the police officer was the boy from the beginning, which I think is really interesting and I also am really curious to see what role he will play in future episodes because at the moment it's very unclear what his intentions are and also like what he learned throughout his lifetime that's then going to affect the course of events um, in the universe or in the town that's currently happening in the show. Also one thing that's probably important to note is that This is a superhero show, but I actually did not see any superpowers. I saw some badassery, some really awesome fighting. (laughs) However, I didn't see anything supernatural. And so that'll be interesting to see if that gets revealed over time about who actually has superpowers and who doesn't. But at the moment, we don't know yet. (laughs) Yeah, so in the original series, there's only one person with legitimate powers, but... I'm interested. I think there's a high possibility that that can ch- that could change and like they could reveal some more stuff. But... I think they use some really interesting technology in the show, like the pod. I was very intrigued by, but also I was realizing that all of the technology that they do have was definitely stuff we could have today. Nothing was too out of the ordinary, and that was also really cool because it really kept you in the present day. Um, while you were watching the show, nothing was too futuristic that you just kind of thought about it as a sci-fi. I don't know. It's just like such a very cool world that comments on our own in a very in very interesting ways, and it leaves me wanting to know, to learn more. And also, it helps that a lot of the characters are just very intriguing. Like I'm, I'm so here for Regina King. I really love her. Um, she does a great job in this. I think she's mm-hmm. a very intriguing, and I think very likable early on Mm -hmm. um and a lot of the other characters are very interesting like i want to learn more about the police officer with a panda hat who's the guy with like the silvery mask oh yeah he that's um wade wade played by tim blank nelson i'm really curious about wade yeah he's (laughs) he's a tricky one that scene that scene of that interrogation gave me very strong dystopian vibes which i think is another reason i'm very interested in learning more about how the police force works in this Mm -hmm. world also how militaristic the police were especially in the scene where the captain was kind of addressing the entire force gave me very like militaristic slash dystopian vibes that being said they're weaponry is much more controlled on a day-to-day basis than ours is so the whole scene at the beginning of um a this is yeah this is like crucial to me I think this is maybe one of the most impactful scenes um where a black police officer pulls over a white man and um this total role reversal of what we're seeing in the news and the black man believes that he is carrying something illegal he believes that he's drunk which we have like um hints towards in the way that it's filmed um the police officer goes back to his car and has to ask for permission to release his gun to go, go check out the scene and before he's able to actually like release it the white man pulls out a shotgun and shoots him multiple times through the windshield of his cop car so even though there's this role reversal of who is technically in power there's a black man as a police officer but the police officer should give him power we're still seeing the the power structure of the white man being able to like to be able to hurt and 
do violence towards somebody who is like in a minority group or who is a person of color. Yeah. It was crazy. That was that was definitely like uh, right after right after the cold open that was also a ballsy way. Of it really was. Yeah. <laughs> ballsy. That is the word for this episode. Yeah. So Don Johnson as Judd Crop as like the police chief Judd Crawford, he dies at the end of this episode. I get the sense he's probably going to come back in flashbacks or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I got the sense from the first episode that he and uh, and Angela, who Regina King's character, have a lot of history, and I'm very interested to sort of unpack that and sort of see their relationship because they seem almost like family rather than just colleagues. Mm-hmm. So. That'll be really interesting to see. And also the decision to kind of make him a very likable character with this scene um, where he sings the song from Oklahoma at the dinner table makes you sort of empathize with him and then immediately killing him off shows kind of, I feel like predicts the type of show where this will be with a lot of deaths, kind of Game of Thrones-esque, where they don't give a lot of care to their characters. You think that everybody's going to make it to the end, but I wouldn't be so sure. Yeah, there was a lot of Oklahoma in there. There was um, the performance of Oklahoma that Judd went to. He Then he sung the song, and then there was... Uh, it ended with another song from Oklahoma. Oklahoma is, I guess, a very idealized portrait of Oklahoma is mm. another thing. It's a very, like, ro- rosy picture. So I think mm. uh, having these traces of it in the show, show contrasted with the sort of brutal reality it portrays is definitely intentional. All right, any final thoughts? Um, Did we we get everything? I just want to say, the only thing I really have left to say is uh, Angela's husband is very attractive. (laughs) (laughs) Very very sexy. There's so many attractive characters in this show. Like, if you have no other reason to watch it, Watch it because Regina King is hot and so is her on-screen husband. Yeah. So. (laughs) like, that's reason enough for me. (laughs) That's it for this week's Pod Culture. We'll be back in two weeks. See you next time.